So today we're, we're continuing our series on identity. This is actually part four. And um, we're going to get in a little more of the nuts and bolts here of identity. Um, identity is the fact of being who or what a person or a thing is, okay? Um, you are a human being. Everyone say, I'm a human being. If you didn't know that, you know that now. Aren't you glad you came to church? Um, you are, what, what you are not, you are not a human doing, right? So you are not what you do. You are who God says you are. And so many people tie their identity, wrap up their identity in and, and what they do or their vocation or that kind of thing. But you're not what you, do, what you do. You are who God says you are. Um, and this happens so many times. You meet someone. Hi, what's your name? And, you know, you want to, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. And usually one of the first questions is like, well, what do you do? But that is technically not the core of your identity. How many know that, like, what you do vocationally, like, if it's going well, then, like, you feel pretty good about yourself if it's your identity, Right. Um, if, it, if it's not going well, and if that's your identity, or the thing, whatever your identity is, if it's not going well, then your identity is shattered, right? But how many know that there is an identity that we can have our, our feet on, a foundation we can have our feet on, that no matter how life is going, we know who we are in God, amen? We know who we are in Christ. And so I want to give an example of someone who has their identity wrapped up in their vocation. So go ahead and roll that video if you would. Hi guys, uh, does everyone know my boyfriend, Bob Vance? Kevin Malone. Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. Stanley Hudson. Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. Ryan Howard. Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. What line of work you in, Bob? And do you fellas take Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration? <laughs> Awfully wedded husband. <laughs> Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. I mean, I, it's, a, it's kind of funny that someone would introduce themselves like that. Um, obviously, we don't do that. Most people, I don't think. But how many of us actually think like that, though? Like, I'm Kurt, but my identity is wrapped up in this other thing, right? And so, if your identity is wrapped up in worship leading, or if my identity was wrapped up in preaching, like, sometimes this goes good up here, and sometimes it doesn't, and, like, I have a, I'll I'll just be honest, I have a better Sunday afternoon when church goes well, okay, I just have a better Sunday afternoon and a better day off when it goes well, but I don't want my identity to be in what I'm doing up here. I hope that I would be okay if I didn't have this. If this was taken away from me, I hope I would be okay with God. Amen? And, and I just want to say that over you. What is the thing that you do or you're into that if it was taken away, would your identity be shredded? So maybe it's a, maybe it's a vocation, a job you have, a hobby, or something you're good at, right? Um, if that was stripped away from you, would you still know at, the, at your core who you are? Now, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with being good at something or enjoying something, but that is not your identity, or at least it should not be your identity. And if it is, that identity can definitely be shaken. If your identity is on something other than Jesus Christ and being a son or a daughter in God, you, your identity is based on a false foundation. And I want you to know that God actually has no problem shaking false foundations. In fact, he does that out of his love. If you, if you have your identity in something that can be shaken, he, out of his love, will actually allow that thing to be shaken so that you can rearrange your, your priorities, rearrange your life so that your identity is founded on him. Hebrews twelve twenty eight it says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God um, acceptably, acceptably with reverence and in awe, okay? 
And it says here in this chapter before this, anything that can be shaken will be shaken. But there's a, if we base our lives on our, on our relationship with Jesus and, and receiving the kingdom that cannot be shaken, we're going to be okay, right? Nothing, anything can happen in the world. Anything can happen in our lives, and we know who we are when we go to God, and he reaffirms that. So um, your, if your identity is firmly grounded in Christ, you can live a life without being shaking all around, shaken all around. So today, I, I actually want to illustrate how having our identity firmly established in Christ is actually one of the ways that we can win and, and do win spiritual battles. Amen? And so I'm going to share two stories with you this morning. I'm sure most of you are familiar with both of them. Um, and and they're two stories played out in two different ways. They're actually the same story played out in two different ways. And this, uh, I think, will reveal to us one of the ways that our adversary comes against us to, to shake up our identity. The first one is Satan's temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden. And the second one is Satan's temptation of Jesus um, 2,000 years ago. In both cases, it was the plan of the enemy to go after their identity. And this is a strategy that the enemy, I guarantee you, goes after you for. So check this out. Um, now, he, man, mankind, like humanity, is under this um, thing of a mis- misplaced, mistaken identity. My wife, when she was um, a teenager, before she was serving the Lord, she looks so nervous right now. <laughs> she used to have a fake ID. Did you know that? <laughs> she used to have a fake ID. She was working at a store, and someone left her ID, and she's like, this person looks a lot like me. And she, she kept the ID, and she, and she, she used to do things with that ID that people shouldn't do, right? She used to buy things with that idea that she, that she shouldn't buy. But it was, a, it was the wrong identity, right? That wasn't her true identity. It was a false identity. Lucky for her, she married such a man of God who <laughs> helped set her straight. <laughs> she did things with this false idea that she shouldn't be doing. Listen, when we have the false idea of who we're supposed to be in God, we will misuse that idea and act out in certain ways that we're not supposed to act out. Amen? Okay. So Genesis 126, we're going we're gonna, to um, kind of set the stage here. There's a little bit of scripture in this, but um, hang with me. Um, this is what God said when he, when he created mankind. He said, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over the livestock, and over all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Jump down to verse 28. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves along the ground. So God made Adam and Eve and mankind in his likeness and image so that they could have delegated, God, God is of course sovereign and God is um, in control, but God gave delegated authority to mankind to rule over this planet, to have dominion and authority over this planet. I'll give an example of delegated authority. I have my, my youth pastors here, our youth ministers, and um, like I didn't name the youth group. Like I've said, we want to have a youth group. I want you guys to do it. Here's the vision of the church, but like how it plays out every week and the, the actual nuts and bolts of the vision of the youth group. Like I wanted them to have ownership of it. I wanted them to be able to take ownership over it. So I didn't want to just hand them everything. I wanted them to be able to pray and go to the Lord and hear for themselves what God wanted that group to be like. So I've delegated authority. Every, every uh, 
department and, and um, director in this church, we've given them a measure of authority under, under our vision. And so that's an example of delegated authority. Our, our church exists, we, we exist to light up our world with the love of Jesus. And we do that through encountering God, empowering people, and shining. But that will look different in every little department as long as everyone has that, that same vision. So um, uh, we're going to jump now to chapter 3, Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent, speaking of the devil, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden. So God had, I, we, we didn't read this, but God said don't eat of the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? Now, the, the serpent, the devil, it says here, was one of the wild animals. Who was supposed to rule over all the animals? Yeah, Adam and Eve, man, exactly. And so Adam and Eve were supposed to have even authority over the serpent, over Satan. But Satan knew that Adam and Eve had delegated authority over the world, and Satan knew that if he could usurp man's authority, he could actually usurp God's authority and have his plan carried out here on, uh, in this world. And so, um, but notice the first seeds of deception were sown as a question. The first seeds of deception that the enemy used on Adam and Eve were, <coughs> were sown as a question. In fact, I would, say, I would say this. I think most, there's, you know, there's spiritual warfare out here and stuff. I think actually most spiritual warfare actually happens right here. In our, in our minds, that there's the, the battlefield of the mind. And I think most spiritual warfare takes place <clears throat> in our minds. And many times, the seeds of deception that the enemy wants to sow in our lives are those just subtle, a subtle question. It just, it's that like Trojan horse, right? It's a very subtle seed of deception that comes into our minds. And so, in fact, I think many times the enemy's voice, he disguises his voice as our voice, Okay. And if, you can, if he can get you to think a thought and believe it's your thought, then he can empower that lie. And so I just want to say this morning, not every thought you think is your thought, right? Not every thought you think is your thought. Like, uh, this is just an example, but when you have like a dream at night, like I've had, I've had spiritual dreams, supernatural dreams where I'll dream something and then later that day that exact thing will happen. Like, that's a supernatural dream. God is revealing something to me that will happen. Of course, I've had dreams that are like, I took too much NyQuil, and, you know, those are called pizza dreams, right? And it's just like crazy town, whatever that is. <laughs> and how many, have ever, how many have ever had, like, a, a dream that is demonic, like nightmare or a lust dream or anything like that? Like, there's, so God can speak in our dreams. The enemy can try to influence us in our dreams. And then there's just pizza dreams. So what do we what, right? what do we do with the dreams that God gives us? Well, we heed them, we pray about them, we, we take them. Yes, God, thank you, you're, you're leading me. I think you're speaking to me. What do we do with the pizza dreams? I just kind of laugh about them and throw them out, right? Like, ah, it's a pizza dream, funny, you know. But the demonic dreams, the dreams that, like, the enemy tries to, to get you, um, either one of two things. You can ignore that one, too, if God says ignore it, or you can come against it. You can stand against it and pray against it. Okay, but not every thought that's planted in your head is the origin isn't always you. Sometimes something will pop into my head. I'm like, I, didn't, I, I don't even think that's my thought. Where did that come from? And I don't even take ownership of every thought that I think. I know that there's a spiritual battle happening and most spiritual warfare happens um, in our minds. And so here's an example of deception sown as a question. Is it, is it that big of a deal if I take a little money out of this cash register? I mean, the company's not paying me that much and they're not gonna miss it anyway. Is it that big of a deal, you know? Um, is it that big of a deal if 
I look at some other women on the computer, right? Ah, big deal. It's not going to hurt anyone. Boys will be boys kind of thing, right? Is it a big deal? Um, Just, um, or how about this one? You talk, you have a conversation with someone, you go away, and all of a sudden you start thinking about like, what did they really mean by that? That was kind of disrespectful. That was kind of, and you start in this offensive way, you start building this case in your mind against this person. Pretty soon you have an offense in your heart towards this person, right? And uh, this just happened to me this Friday. I, there's, there's someone in my life, I haven't really thought about them or seen them in a while, and it randomly, this thought of something they said to me came into my mind. And I just thought, like, that's kind of disrespectful what they said. Literally, and I, and I had to make a decision, like, am I going to, like, let this be a problem for me? Am I going to get this offense going with this person? I don't see this person a lot, like, maybe once a month or so. And I hardly ever run into them. I ran into them that same day. Like, later that day, on Friday, I ran into this person. I was like, wow, I wonder if the enemy was trying to sow seeds in the form of a question. What did they mean by that thing? What the, that was kind of disrespectful. That was kind of offensive. Like, that could have become a problem for me. But I, did, I didn't, in that particular regard... I didn't take the bait. But that's how it is many times in our lives. The questions that we kind of, is this a big deal? Or what is that? Look out for those, those questions in your life. <clears throat> so here's Eve's answer to, to the devil. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse 4 you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. By the way, this is the first lie recorded in Scripture. Satan continues, um, Genesis 3.5, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Okay? So they're thinking to themselves, be like God. Yeah, that sounds great. We want to be like God. Um, sure, why not? And, I mean, clearly God is, like, holding out on us here. He's not giving us everything we need. He's holding something back from us. And I want to be like God. Um, So what is is Satan doing? He's playing into their identity. He's saying like, what God gave you isn't enough. You're not complete. You're not whole. You're not the way he made you to be. You need something else. You need to be like God. And here's the thing. They were already like God. They were already like, they're, they're already made to resemble and bear the image of their father. This is Genesis 126 says this, remember? God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. They already had that identity. So it's like the enemy's trying to sell them something that they already had. They already had everything they needed. It'd be like me, like, stealing your car. Like someone gives you a car, I steal it, and then, I'm gonna, and then I sell it back to you for full price, right? <laughs> they already had that identity. They already had everything they needed. And the enemy's trying to play into their identity. And so... Um, uh, verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing the eye, and also desirable for gaining, gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So, gaining wisdom. Well, that doesn't sound too bad, right? That's not a big deal. Like, what's wrong with gaining wisdom? And listen, oftentimes with us, it's not out of this malicious desire that we have. It's actually out of a good, something, a good desire that we have, Right? that gets twisted in some way and that the enemy can take it, it, um, advantage of. It's oftentimes out of a legitimate need that we have. For example, we all have a legitimate need for significance. We all have a legitimate need for value, for love, those things, right? But here's the thing. What makes you think you're already not significant? 
right? If, if, if you don't know you're significant, you will look for significance in anything else, anything and everything else in this world. This is why it's so important to know our significance before God. You'll use that juicy piece of gossip that you heard to tell these people so that you can, you know, have something to talk about so that you'll feel important with that group, right? But if you know who you are, you don't need to, I don't need to use that juicy piece of gossip because I know who I am. I don't need the affirmation of these people. I'm just, you know what? I have a secret with the Holy Spirit. I have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to keep that a secret. I'm going I'm to cover that thing, right? So uh, Genesis 3, 7, it says the bull, um, they ate, um, then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. <clears throat> so they realized they were naked. They realized they were no longer covered. They were completely innocent before. And the glory of God, literally the glory of God was what clothed them. And that had been removed. When, and see, Adam and Eve, they didn't just um, disobey God. They actually obeyed the devil. And when that happened... They died spiritually, and it set forth a process that they would inevitably, inevitably die a physical death. And what happened at that moment was that delegated authority that God had given to Adam and Eve now fell into the hands of their enemy because they obeyed the devil. This is why 2 Corinthians 4.4, it actually it, it calls Satan the god of this world. There's a measure of authority that God gave to man that fell into the hands of Satan and and. The, and 2 Corinthians 4.4, we'll actually read this real quick. Satan, who is the god of this world, or other translations say the god of this age, because how many know he's not really god, small g, um, he's a loser. Um, Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded, but he still tries to blind the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is ex exalted, uh, who is exact likeness of God, okay? So Satan still has a measure of deception and lies and influence in, in this world. Okay, fast forward now. So that was the first, that was story number one. We're going to fast forward to story number two. It goes much better, by the way. Uh, about 4,000 years, Jesus comes on to the scene, and the Bible calls Jesus the second Adam or the last Adam. So it's like redemption time. Jesus comes to do what? He comes to take back what the enemy took. He comes to take back the title deed to the earth. But I want, before um, this that's what he came to do. We're going to look at the temptation of Jesus. But before we do that, I want to look and I want to show you what happened right before the temptation of Jesus, okay? Um, and right before he, Jesus stepped into public ministry. This is super important. This is actually really key for us to know what the Father did for Jesus right before Jesus stepped into his public ministry. Um, Matthew 3, chapter, um, chapter 3, verses uh, 13 through 17 this is talking about the baptism of Jesus. Um, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment the heavens were open. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and aligning on him. Verse 17, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Okay, notice that the father speaks identity over Jesus. He affirms him. This is my beloved son who I love and with whom I am well pleased. Okay, this is right before Jesus is, goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy and, and the temptation, um, he has to endure that temptation. How many times... 
do, do we. We step out and to serve God or to do something great, but we don't understand that we're sons and daughters. We don't understand that we're loved, and we don't understand that we are well-pleasing to our Father. See, listen, if you, if you don't know you're a son and a daughter, you'll try, to, you'll try to be a son and a daughter. If you don't know you're loved, you'll try to earn love, right? If you don't know that you're well-pleasing to God through what Jesus did, then you'll try to be good enough for God, okay? And Jesus receives this affirmation from the Father before he goes into the spiritual battle. And so listen, guys, we don't live, we don't live for approval. We live from approval. That's super key. If you're living your life, I'm trying to get approval from God. I'm trying to be good enough. We don't live for approval. We live from it. We already have it. We live from heaven to earth. We live, right? We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Amen? So we live from God's approval. And that is all about, that's all about our identity. And so, but notice this, right before the Father spoke to Jesus, it says the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. I want to ask you a question. What would have happened if the Father had spoke, this is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased, whom I love, without the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus? Or I should say this, what happens to us if we hear that without the Holy Spirit? I would, I would say this. What happens is we get it up here, but we don't get it down here, right? The Holy Spirit had to descend and come upon Jesus before that was spoken over him as a pattern for us because when, when the Father speaks to us, we don't just get it up here, we get it down here. The Holy Spirit communicates that so that we know it in our being. We know that we're loved. We know that we're valued. We know that we're sons and daughters. Amen? This is why Romans eight sixteen says this. The Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is one of the things that the Holy Spirit does when he comes and sets up camp in our lives. He testifies with our spirit and affirms that we are children, sons and daughters of the Most High. Okay, so here's the temptation of Jesus. We're going to jump to chapter 4. It says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. Actually, the book of Mark says that he, was, um, that he, was, he went out full of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and nights, he was hungry. How many think that I would be hungry? I'm hungry after like 40 minutes. It's 40 days. Verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, check this out, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the Son of God. Notice the, the seed of deception he's trying to sow there. If you are who you say you are, do something for me to prove to me that you are who you say you are. So it's, it's a question trying to exploit a human need of hunger to get Jesus to prove or to be insecure about who he is. Okay. But listen, if the Father speaks something over you and over me, this is the deal. We don't need to prove that to anyone. We don't have to go around proving who we are to anyone. We can just be who we are, be who he's said to be. You can be a son. You can be a daughter. You don't have to go prove that to the world. In fact, you'll live better knowing that you are that and living from that. Amen? And so um, here's an example. You know, men are supposed to be providers and stuff, so there's this temptation. Hey, if you're a husband that provides for his family, then you got to keep up with the Joneses, and you have to prove to the world that you're a good provider, so you should go buy this car that you maybe can't afford to prove to the rest of the world that you're a good provider, right? Isn't that what happens sometimes? We're not content with what we have because we want to show everyone else how good we're doing. It's an identity thing. Nothing wrong with having a new car if you can afford it, right? If you can afford the car, awesome. Check, check, okay. Cut out just there for a second. Nothing wrong with having a new car, but if your identity is wrapped up in that car, that's a huge problem, or that image that you're trying to create. Um, or if, how about this one? You, you want to prove to the world you're a good mom, right? And so you have to get that Pinterest perfect 
post, that's a lot of P's, that Pinterest perfect post on Instagram of your kid's birthday to show like how wonderful a job you did for the world to see, right? And there is a pressure. I think there's pressure on moms and stuff. And like, I have to prove to the world that I'm a good mom and I have to show everyone that I'm a good mom. Listen, nothing wrong with doing a good party for your kid, right? Nothing wrong with posting a good memory. But is your idea, will you feel like less of a person if you don't do that? Like less of a, will your identity be messed up if you're not able to put that out there? Nothing wrong with posting a good memory, but um, it's just, is, is your identity wrapped up in that? Is your identity wrapped up in presenting an image? Okay, so uh, Matthew 4, 4, um, this is um, Jesus's, Jesus said this in the response. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, Jesus, Jesus had just reserved, uh, received this affirmation from the Father. You're my beloved son. And he says, I don't live by bread alone. I live by the words that my Father has spoken over me. My Father has already said, I'm loved, that I'm accepted, and that he's proud of me, right? Jesus said, I don't need to prove to you anything. I already know who I am because my father just spoke to me about it. Man, if you can get that revelation, know what your father is speaking over you, know what your father is speaking about you, you don't need to go out in the world and try to prove a bunch of stuff and misbehave to be someone that you're not, amen? And so, um, because remember, his question was, if you are the son of God. So that was was round... um, one, here's round two. The devil took him up um, to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, again, he says, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will, they will lift you up your hands so that you will not strike your foot against stone. Again, the enemy's saying, if you're the son of God, prove it. Prove that God will protect you if you jump off of this, jump off of the pinnacle of the temple. Prove it. Like, okay, so I have a picture of what, um, go ahead and put that first picture up of the, the, the temple itself, this is Temple Mount in Jerusalem. That is like what most people believe the pinnacle of the temple was. That, um, that is, itself is not the temple. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD, but there's basically a retaining wall and a big platform on top of that. And that was the highest point of the temple. And that's like some 450 feet. So a lot of people think that is the point that they tried to get, that Satan would try to get Jesus to jump off of, to prove himself. Go ahead and show the next picture. This is looking at it from underneath. So some 450 feet, He's trying to get him to jump off of the the off of Temple Mount, the pinnacle of the temple. But Satan is trying to sow insecurity, prove that you're the Son of God, because the Son of God would be protected if he did something like this, right? Now, he's actually, and he's actually trying to get Jesus to kill himself too. He's trying to like sow this spirit of suicide. And I just want to say, by the way, on the spirit of suicide. Like I said before, many times it's the enemy's voice disguising his voice as your voice, right? And so here's, here's how the voice of the enemy comes and we think it's us. No one cares about me. No one even cares about me. I don't have a future. It's, this, is, this situation is never going to get better. No one would even care if I'm gone. Like if you're saying those kind of things, I just want to propose to you, maybe those aren't your thoughts. Maybe those are spiritually sown to try to deceive you, to get you to hate yourself, to get you to, to kill yourself. And so the spirit of suicide, it's totally demonic. This is why people need to know their significance and value. If you hear something like that, you'd be like, no, I am significant. People would miss me if I'm gone. This situation is going to get better. Hey, man, we have, to, we, have to, we have to reverse it because we are loved, valued, and accepted and affirmed. Listen, young men, they need to hear that they're good enough. Like they need that affirmation. 
They need to hear that someone is proud of them and they have what it takes. This is what young men need to hear. They need to, that question, am I good enough? Young men ask that. Young, young women, they, they ask the question, am I lovely? Am I beautiful? And young women need to hear that they are lovely and that they are beautiful. We need, and in fact, I want to be a church where we affirm and we speak identity over people like that. Am I worth protecting? Like a lot of young ladies, why would I protect myself? Why would I keep myself pure? Am I even worth protecting? Like if, if you give them that value, I am worth protecting, I'm worth covering over, they will, protect, they will actually protect themselves better. Okay, so round three, uh, Matthew 4, 7 through 9. Uh, Jesus, this is Jesus' answer to jumping off. Uh, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him up on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He said, all this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. In the book of Mark, it actually says, it has been given to me, all the kingdoms of the world, their dominion, and I can give it to whoever I want. Okay, remember Adam and Eve um, lost out of that dominion when they gave it away. <clears throat> In other words, Satan is saying, I know why you came, Jesus. I know why you're here. I know why you came. You want to take back the title deed to the earth and redeem humanity. And Satan says this, if you, if you give me what I want, I'll give you what you want. If you, if you bow down and worship me, because that's what Satan had always wanted in the first place. Before he was Satan, he was, he was, God created Satan to be an angel in heaven. His name was Lucifer, which means light bearer. And he was a beautiful angel. But he got puffed up in pride and wanted to be, actually exalt himself above God and be worshipped above God. And this is why he was cast down to the earth. And Satan still wants that to this day. He still wants to be worshipped. He still wants to be adored. He still wants to exalt himself over the throne of God. And he says to Jesus, Give me what I want, and I'll give you what you want. This is, a, this is a quick way. You won't have to go to the cross. You won't have to suffer. We'll just get this over with. You get what you want, and I'll get what I want, to be worshiped above all. I know why you came. And so, listen, the enemy, I, I, I propose to you that the enemy knows, might know your purpose more than you know your own purpose and knows what God wants to do in your life. And sometimes there are these um, short, short ways to get to the top, Right? And, and we, we don't want to compromise ourselves to get to the top faster. For example, this is why people will sometimes sleep their way to the top of an organization. Or this is why some people, will, they'll slander coworkers to get promoted above that coworker, to get that coworker fired, right? They're, they're, um, or this is why some people steal. They're not trusting God to be their, their provider. They're not trusting God with their process, all right? And th- so this same temptation happens to us all the time. Because we know God loves us. God wants to provide for us. God wants to promote us and do amazing things in our lives. And when we see a short route, if I could just slander this person, if I could just backbite this, backbite this person, if I could just steal this money, it'll be a faster way to get blessed, right? That's playing into the enemy's hand of what he knows God wants to do in our lives. Okay, we're almost done. Uh, Matthew uh, 10, 4, 10 says this. Jesus, Jesus answered and said, uh, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. All three times when Satan came at, at Jesus to tempt him, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And I just want to say something about what is written, the word of God. Like, this isn't just for your um, cozy, quiet time in the morning to be with Jesus, get your coffee out and your croissant, take a picture, post it. <laughs> Post it to Pinterest. Ooh, look at me. I'm just having my God time. It's amazing. That's awesome. Have your God time. I love God time. I love to know, like, get to know him through the word, of course. But listen, 
This isn't just for a cozy, quiet time. This is a weapon, you guys. And so that's why Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. This is why we need to know the word. We need to know that the word of God is a weapon in our hands to stand against the enemy because he does come at us with these things. Okay, I'm gonna give you um, five ways to fight your adversary. Um, there are more. This isn't like an all-inclusive message on spiritual warfare. I'm gonna give you five ways to fight your enemy and then we'll, then we'll get out of here. First of all, Identity, huge. Know that your identity will be tested. Will become. Will, he will come against you in so many ways to get you to compromise who you are, to get you to question who you are. Know that. The first one is uh, number one: submit yourself to God. James four seven says this: Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So that leads us right to number two. Number two is resist the devil. But the half, this has to be first, like this. First, you have to submit yourself to God. Then you'll be able to resist the devil, okay? If you try to resist the devil and you're not submitted to God, it's not going to work. So, number one, submit yourself to God, God's plan. Then resist the devil's, number two. <clears throat> um, number three, close any open doors. I'll give you an example of one way we have open doors. I talked about this offense that wanted to come up in me on Friday. Um, 2 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 11, it says this. Anyone, uh, Paul's speaking this to the Corinthians, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven the sight of Christ for your sake. Watch this, verse 11. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. One of the enemy's schemes, one of the open doors we have in our lives is offense. So we gotta get offense off us. We can't walk around bound up by offense all the time, okay? So if you have open doors in your life, there's a, there's a foothold in the enemy house. Close those doors. Amen. <clears throat> Number four is stay standing. Ephesians 6, 12 uh, through 14. If anything else, don't back up. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authority, and the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand Stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of uh, truth around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in its place. So it says there, stand, stand, stand. If anything else, like if you're being attacked, if anything else, don't back up. At least just stand your ground. There, there are no, um, there's nothing in the armor of God that, like our feet were only designed to go forward, right? There's nothing in the armor of God that says that we, have, we, we retreat. Everything is forward advancing. If anything else, if you're in a season where you can't advance, at least, at least do this. At least stand. At least don't move forward. And number five is don't grow weary. Galatians 6, 9 through 10. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have had opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the household of believers. Amen. I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll conclude. Do we have a closer? Is there, we're going to do a, yeah, can we do a worship? Yeah, why don't you just come up, and, I'll, and I'll, we'll do one worship song, get out of here. <clears throat> so I just want to pray over everyone here. If you've never, you've never felt and received that affirmation that the Father gives. Sorry. Fixed side. <laughs> These guys are awesome. Um, if you've never felt that affirmation that the Father gives, this is my beloved son or daughter who I'm well pleased. That wasn't just for Jesus, by the way. Like, that was for Jesus. But listen, remember, Jesus didn't just die for us. Jesus died as us, right? And he didn't just live 
for us. He actually lived as us. He lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we should have died. And so that baptism that Jesus, when he was baptized, he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit came upon him, and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm pleased. I just want us to receive that affirmation from God today. If you know who you are in Christ, you will not fall prey to a lot of these attacks that come our way because the enemy wants to question our identity. If you're man enough, if you're woman enough, if you're a provider, if you're a good Christian, <laughs> amen? It's even like, hey, if you were a good Christian, you wouldn't have done that thing. Like there's those questions designed to alienate us from God. So I'm gonna just pray and just release that over you. So Father, I thank you for every individual in this room. God, I, Jesus, I thank you that you did, um, you called us to be sons and daughters. I speak that affirmation of the Father over everyone here, Lord God, that your sons are good enough, your daughters are beautiful and amazing and lovely, Lord God. God, I just pray that they would know who they are in Christ Jesus. God, I thank you they wouldn't fall for that, that prey, fall for that um, deception, Lord God. God, I thank you that we know who we are, and God, we know whose we are. We belong to the King. We belong to the Most High, Lord God. And God, I thank you that you placed us here for a purpose, and God, we trust you with that purpose. Everyone here has somewhere God is taking them, doing something amazing to them, and God, we just say we're not gonna, um, we're not gonna go around the process, Lord God. We thank you that you love us in the process. You're with us, and God, I just release that identity that beloved sons and daughters, God, over everyone in this room. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.